You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so humbled and delighted to be in your presence today. We're reminded today that you have no rival and no equal, that you are the name above all names, that you are powerful and mighty, but you are also near, and you love us so deeply. So Lord, as we open your scriptures together, now may these words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Well, today we start something new. That's always fun, right? Starting something new. Uh, We started off the year with practices which I really hope and pray continue to serve you all and your life with God uh, as you move forward and take up different practices and like incorporate them into your life. And I really hope that you found the concept of rule of life helpful that we talked about last Sunday, and that it helps you to give careful thought to your ways. I see that written on the banner in the back. Uh, help you give careful thought to your ways as you move forward in your life with God. But today we're moving towards a new season. We begin this week, one of the richest seasons in the church year. Uh, it doesn't actually begin till Wednesday morning, so today we haven't quite gotten there. But on Wednesday morning uh, at 7 a.m. and at noon, we're going to have, as Jess already mentioned, some short and simple services for Ash Wednesday, which is the official beginning of Lent. And Lent is, if you don't know, it's a 40-day season of fasting and confessing and repenting and preparation for the season of Easter resurrection celebration. That is what Lent is. But if you do the math, you will note that Lent is not 40 days, but actually 46 days, because there are six Sundays in Lent. We don't fast. We already talked about this in the fasting day. We don't fast on the Lord's Day. So you get 40 days of fasting and then six days of Sundays throughout, throughout Lent. Um, the Lord's Day is a, Lord of, a day of feasting. So uh, at the culmination of Lent, as I already said, is Easter, which is a season that's actually even longer than Lent. Usually we think about it as one day, Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday the Easter bunny drops, all the, drops off all the candy and then we're all done with it, right? No, that's, that's not what we think about. Um, but it goes all the way out, 50 days to Pentecost Sunday, which this year comes at the end of May. So, sorry, I'm giving like this weird church lecture, but... In all these combined seasons of Lent and Easter, they take up about three and a half months of our time, and that's the seasons that we are now headed into. And this year throughout the whole season, we're going to be focusing on John's voice in the New Testament. So most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. But in the naming of letters, it's John who gets the most. Because we have the Gospel of John, we have the Revelation of John, or just Revelation for short. We have the letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. If you're reading through the New Testament, you're like, who is this John guy? Why does he get so many books named after him? Our main focus is going to be 1 John throughout this long season, which feels like this very poetic, spiraling sermon 
it like circles and drills down on some really essential themes of light and love and truth. People of light are following Jesus. The God of love is revealed in Jesus. And these core truths of Jesus must be held tightly against the falsehoods and the temptations that would seek to lead us astray. And that is also a theme of John's letters. But perhaps more than anything, 1 John is a really profound theological look, a reflection on true Christian love. What it is, what it's not, what it looks like, where it comes from, how it radically transforms the life of a disciple of Jesus. So what does it look like for us to follow Jesus in truth? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in love? So the series title, True Love, might sound real corny, and I acknowledge that, and we had talked through it. Um, but laying down our lives for others, doing righteousness, and trusting God with, all, with and for all things shapes us into persons who really embody just that, the true love of Jesus. This is the true love that Christ first demonstrated for us at the cross and at the empty tomb. And there is no love truer or greater than the love of God. So, we're going to immerse ourselves in this profound theological reflection on the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. And we start it today on what is called in many churches Transfiguration Sunday. Now, I'm not going to talk through Transfiguration Sunday. I've already done the lecture thing a lot, but uh, one minute. Can I get one minute? Is that okay? One minute on Transfiguration? Uh, it was this moment in Jesus' ministry where some of his disciples saw him transfigured like lightning and talking with Moses and Elijah. And if you don't know who Moses and Elijah are, their stories are recorded in the Old Testament. They're hugely important figures. And one thing that's really significant about them in this particular story is that they had both been dead for centuries. And now here's Jesus appearing with them. Would you be a little weirded out by that? Yes? Okay, yeah, okay. So Jesus like is transfigured. He looks like lightning, and he's hanging out with two very dead guys. Um, but whereas, as we're about to see and begin the season of Lent, it's this journey of Jesus that he takes from a life of ministry to death on a cross, and then from death on a cross to a lived and embodied resurrection and ascending into heaven where he is still alive. So it's fascinating that the lines between life and death are blurred on this momentous occasion of the transfiguration, this transfiguring moment. And that that moment was witnessed by many of the very men who would tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the New Testament, including John. So hey, here we go with 1 John. Ready to go? 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John begins his letter by letting everybody know that he is delivering accurate, historical, eyewitness testimony regarding the word of life. In this first verse, it provides this powerful anchor, but it's a little curious. And first of all, I want to know who is we? 
is this we? That which, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Who is we? Is we John and the people he's writing to? Is we John and the others who are like writing this sermon together? And if so, who are the other people with him? Is we shorthand for all the apostles and all of their authority? And then another question, if I might. The beginning. What, what beginning is he talking about? Which beginning? Is, are we talking about the beginning, beginning? Like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Beginning, beginning, beginning? Or the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Like when he first started walking the earth? Or just the beginning of a, of a disciple's walk with Jesus? Of that beginning? From the context, I would say it's most likely that the we is intended to communicate some authoritative testimony. The we that John is talking about here. He says, I am writing this, but it's not just me. I didn't make this stuff up. I'm not writing this on my own authority. We, the apostles together, a whole cloud of witnesses have testified to what we have seen, what we have experienced, what we have witnessed. <coughs> Try going. And as far as the beginning goes, it's interesting because John's gospel begins with beginning as well. You know John's gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he's talking about the beginning, beginning, beginning. He's talking about Jesus being with the Father at creation, at the very beginning, at the creation of all things, the beginning. But it seems like 1 John is really focusing on Jesus' ministry. Because he's talking about eyewitness stuff. And if John is saying we, stuff that we have seen, stuff that we've touched with our hands, seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, was he back there at Genesis 1-1 at the beginning, beginning? No, John wasn't there. The apostles weren't there. So even though it's taking the language about the beginning, beginning, it's mostly talking about when Jesus comes and shows up on the scene and his ministry begins and changes everything. But then again, Jesus was there at the beginning anyway, so maybe it all over overlaps. Okay. Okay. Not important. I don't think. It's, that's not the most important thing. What we, what we need to get to is that the real point of 1 John is that it is being presented as eyewitness, ear witness, tactile witness, testimony to the good news of Jesus, okay? The story, this everything that he's going to say has been seen with the eyes, heard with the ears, and touched with the hands. What you're about to read in the rest of this letter has been seen, heard, and touched by a whole generation of people who walked in the dust of the rabbi Jesus, who shared meals with him, who sat across the table with him, who smelled things with him, who tasted things with him, who listened to him teach, who occasionally were chastised by him, who were utterly transformed by him. The story that we are about to read is anchored in that call, the flesh and the blood ministry of Jesus, the Messiah from Israel, who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, and who here in 1 John 1.1 1, 1 is simply called the word of life. The word of life. All right, verse 2. The life appeared. 
we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The life appeared. That's fun, right? Life appeared. Summarize, we have Jurassic Park. Life finds a way. Okay, sorry, but sort of. Okay, life is a theme that will come up repeatedly in John, and specifically the theme of eternal life, not just life, but eternal life. And in this verse, eternal life serves as shorthand for the whole good news and presence and story of Jesus. When he says eternal life here, he's talking about the whole story, everything that Jesus does. That is like, he's summing it up as shorthand, eternal life. The most well-known use of the phrase eternal life ever comes from John's gospel, right? Chapter 3, verse 16, you may be familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life, it's shorthand for this whole story of the good news of Jesus taking root in the life of a person and utterly transforming them. And if we connect eternal life to how it began from the beginning, we got eternal life and we got from the beginning, it connects the whole story from beginning to end, right? We have the, we have the in the beginning and then we have eternity. We have eternity in both directions. And somehow, you and I enter that story at one point or time or another, and we get to be part of it. We are invited into the whole eternal thing. And that is one of the beautiful mysteries of eternal life, right? We enter at a certain point along this cosmic timeline that goes in infinitely in both directions, and we get to be part of the eternal life of God. And we're figuring out what that's like as we go, aren't we? And we look forward to one day knowing a whole lot more about it. Powerful stuff. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. There's that eyewitness, earwitness thing again. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, with his Son, Jesus Christ. This was proclaimed to the first hearers of this message. And now it's been proclaimed to us. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life and fellowship with us. Those are the two things that we're talking about in verse 3. Eternal life and fellowship with, again, there's that word us. Fellowship with us here is pretty clearly talking about anyone who has come into the family of Christ through Jesus. Anybody who's part of the family, you are in fellowship with. Anybody who's part of the family of Jesus, we are in fellowship with together. So coming into faith in Jesus Christ brings eternal life, and it brings us into fellowship. And it's such a crucial and central thing to being a Christian and following Jesus or being a disciple. Nobody does it alone. Nobody does it alone. Nobody can walk this life of faith alone. Are there periods of loneliness? Yeah. Seasons of isolation? Probably. But fundamentally, this eternal life that we're living into, we're living into together as followers of Jesus. Together. 
That's why I think one of the anchors of Riverside Church is and always has been our home groups. Home groups are not only space for fellowship. I mean, some of you have robust fellowship with one another outside of home groups, which is fantastic. Men who get together regularly, women who get together regularly. There's life transformation happening. There's accountability happening. There's Bible studies. There's book studies. There's checking in with each other. These things are happening inside and outside home groups. They're all fundamental aspects of Christian fellowship and of the Christian life, of what it is, what it means to follow Jesus. And I do think that there are many who have tried. And I get the impulse, but sometimes it gets real hard. There are many who have tried or attempted to take their eternal life out of the context of fellowship. Right? Sort of an attitude like, I mean, you said this was free, right? Eternal life, free. Grace, free. Unconditional. Now I got to keep coming back for all the other stuff. I got to keep like going to church and like hanging out with Christians. Boring people. Not you. Not cool, man. I thought it was just like free. And I get the resistance to add-ons, right? There's nothing I hate more than when I'm trying to buy something and then a greedy salesperson is trying to upsell me. Can't stand it. Mostly because I hate saying no. I'm a sucker. Just to be honest. Right? Marcy's like. (laughs) But fellowship Hear me out. Fellowship, I hope and pray, is and can actually be one of the appealing things about following Jesus. Fellowship with other followers of Jesus can and should be one of the appealing things about following Jesus in the first place. It's not the only thing. It's not like the first thing. Yeah, well, for some people, it might be the first thing. But it's not the primary thing. The primary thing is Jesus. Man, being in fellowship with his family. It's pretty neat. Look around. Some pretty great people in this room. There's some pretty great people in other churches that are meeting right now in this city, in this country, in this world. Pretty amazing stuff. Is fellowship difficult? Yes, often. But life is difficult. And you know what? Life is even more difficult if we don't have fellowship. People to share the burdens. Fellowship is not just a person-to-person thing, too. So fellowship is what we have with each other. But as John points out, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we're called to be together with one another and together with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have this meaningful fellowship with each other that's anchored in our fellowship with God, the fact that we get to be with God, connected to him. And that sort of compounds the effectiveness and the ministry of getting together. The reality that is, it is not just the people in the room with the people in the room with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's happening right here and right now, it's not just us, it's us and God together. Pretty powerful. This is fellowship. As Jesus says in Matthew 18, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We've got more than two or three here. Box check. 
um, I have to be honest that being in fellowship with you all is one of the things that really keeps me going as a Christian and as a pastor. There are the folks in my home group who are incredibly vulnerable and delightful. Staff that I feel honored to work with. An incredibly faithful and wise elder team. There's folks that I get to give rides to around town. People I share meals with or coffee with or conversations I get to have right in this room before and after church or during the two-minute break. All of those things are rich contributions to my faith and to our life of faith together. The ways that we share life together. It's important. But when I stop to remember every one of these expressions of fellowship has God present in it, I want to metaphorically take off my sandals and say, this is holy ground. Metaphorically, because I don't really actually like, want to take my shoes off. Just saying. The final verse, short and sweet. We write this to make our joy complete. There's, there's something behind this verse. Something behind the idea of complete joy. And it's pretty clear as we keep reading John's letters, and particularly as we get to 2 John and 3 John, that one of the essential things that John's interested in is that the people would remain faithful to the teachings that he's giving them, the apostolic teaching about Jesus that's been handed down, and to not fall prey to teachings that would make Jesus less than who he revealed himself to be. There's some people out there teaching that Jesus was less than who he said he was, that he was not fully God, not fully man, not fully both at the same time. But you know what would make John rejoice? What would make John rejoice would be if the people listened to his teaching and to the teachings, to the things in this letter. That's why he wrote it. He's admitting, this is why I wrote this. And I've admitted already that I think that our series title for this series, True Love, is a little corny. And I'm leaning into it, okay? I like a little cheese. I like a little corn. Mm, sounds like a Super Bowl dip. Yeah. Cheesy corn dip? Come on. All right. <laughs> but truth and love. Truth and love are right at the center of the theological teaching of John's first letter. Love that is anchored in the truth about Jesus. Love that is anchored in the truth about Jesus, not some fabricated less than the truth, but more palatable version of Jesus. But the real thing, the real truth and the real truth of his incomparable, self-sacrificing love. And if we truly get this down, it will completely, sorry, it will complete the joy of the many who faithfully have gone before us and passed down the faith from generation to generation. People like John, who said, this would make my joy complete. It will complete the joy of the apostles who recorded the New Testament and the early church who gave it to us that we might know the true love of Christ. If we are able to somehow really know it, the true love of Jesus, we get glimpses of it. And I trust that you all know it. But I, th I think if you're like me, you want to know it better, know it deeper, know it more in your bones, more to your core. Maybe you know it here, you don't know it here, or maybe you know it here and you're trying to figure out what it means up here. What does it look like to truly follow, to truly live into the love of the one who loved us more than we can ask or imagine?
Let's pray. Lord, thank you. for the incredible ways that you have demonstrated your love to us. For a love that draws us into this eternal life. The beautiful mystery of your life, God, that we get to partake in somehow, that we get to be a part of, that we get to be saved by, forgiven by, restored by, renewed by, liberated by. Lord, thank you for offering this great gift to us, to your children, for calling us your daughters and sons, for inviting us to eat at your table, to have fellowship with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.